Amen. Charles is now going to bring us our Old and New Testament readings. The Old Testament reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13 to 53, verse 12, and they can be found in the service booklets. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised up and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so defigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we were healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And and though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he has poured out his life into death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This is the word of the Lord. The New Testament lesson is taken from Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, 
about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Jerusalem. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but did not find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Charles. Please do keep that second passage open as we look at it together. Uh, Let me just pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would show us what there is to see in the scriptures concerning your son Jesus, his death, his resurrection, and what it means for us today. Amen. It struck me as I woke up this morning that Easter can be a rather strange day. On the one hand, we've been speaking and singing about news of great joy and celebration, of a man raised from the dead, of hope that will last into eternity. Fantastic things, amazing things. And yet Easter is a day much like any other. It is grey and cloudy. Um, We will all have gathered here with things on our minds, worries, fears, anxieties, 
whether about Easter lunch or something a bit deeper. And that means it is hard to see just how amazing this Easter message is. It can all seem a little bit out of focus. I'm often teased uh, by my colleagues for my rubbish phone. Um, It's a little bit out of date, um, and it can only take very blurry photos, uh, even at a push. It's, It's useless for taking photos of anything. Everything is out of focus. Our passage this afternoon is all about bringing Jesus into focus, from blurry and confused to crystal clear, high definition. So let's dive in. It's a passage written by Luke, uh, who is a historian of Jesus' life. Uh, We have two people traveling along a winding, dusty road somewhere near Jerusalem. Uh, One is called Cleopas. The other one uh, is unnamed. may have been Luke himself, someone suggested to me the other day. And as they walk along, there's a dark shadow over their journey. Three days before, something horrific had happened. Their friend, their teacher, Jesus of Nazareth, had been betrayed to the Romans. He had been beaten, crucified, and killed. And these two friends are distraught. But as they walk, they are joined by a third traveller. And Luke lets us, the reader, in on a little secret as we join these travellers. He helps us to recognise this third traveller from the outset, that it is Jesus, risen from the dead. But when will our two other travellers recognise him? This is what starts and ends the passage. In verse 16 we read, they were kept from recognising Jesus. This happens in, in lots of the resurrection accounts. Jesus doesn't look quite like he used to before the crucifixion. And for Cleopas and his companion, they've got things out of focus, like my phone camera and its blurry photos. But when we come to the end of their journey, in verse 31, we read, Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. Recognition, coming into focus, high definition. That's what this passage is all about. And it begs us the question, Have we got Jesus in focus? And if not, how do we adjust the lens? Three points as we move through the passage. We're going to start with confusion, through clarity, and finally to confidence. So three C's. I was thinking it's a shame it's not Christmas, but there you go. So, first point, confusion. How would you describe our travellers? What kind of mood are they in? Well, they're clearly upset and frustrated. Verses 14 and 15, they're talking over and over about the events of the last few days. Verse 17, their faces are downcast. When Jesus asks them what's happened, their faces fall. They, they look at the ground, avoid eye contact, perhaps biting back tears. And when Cleopas tells the story from the beginning, there's a bite of cynicism. He goes over it all again, how this wonderful Jesus was betrayed and killed. And then the sting of disappointment in verse 21. We had hoped that he was the one 
who was going to redeem Israel. Dot, dot, dot. We thought redemption was coming. Freedom from everything that's wrong in the world. Life in all its fullness. We thought this was it. And now our hopes have been dashed. Our dreams have failed. Perhaps we know that feeling only too well. We've had that moment. There is this thing that was going to make life worth living. This was it. And yet it, whatever it was, failed to meet expectations. And we've been left confused and frustrated. It might be any number of things. It might be the state of the world today. Maybe it's something close to home. Maybe it's a relationship that hasn't worked out. Perhaps it's a job that's proving far less fulfilling than you imagined. Possibly it's the money running out sooner than you expected. There are so many things about which we can say, but we had hoped. We knew deep down it might not happen, but still, it feels like a kick in the stomach when it goes wrong. Perhaps worst of all, it might be what Cleopas is so upset about, the sting of death. I know several of us here today have had to say sad farewells to good friends over recent months. And like Cleopas, our faces are downcast. Life is frustrating and confusing and full of hopes that don't seem to go anywhere. And where is Jesus in all this? We'll look again at what Cleopas says about him. Verse 19, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. It sounds positive, but again, it's a little bit out of focus. There have been lots of prophets in Israel's history, powerful in word and deed before Jesus came along. There have been lots of good teachers and philosophers and leaders throughout history apart from Jesus. And all of them have died. For most of them, their ideals, their teachings have gradually disappeared. Yet more hopes and dreams dashed or watered down. So as far as Cleopas is concerned, Jesus is special, but only sort of. Cleopas has hopes, but they are half-hearted. Jesus might have been the solution, but now he's dead. Some hope. And look at what Cleopas says about the events of the previous few hours. He, he talks about the women, friends of his, visiting the tomb. He talks about angels appearing. He even talks about Jesus' body going missing. But it doesn't make any difference. The hope for redemption has been shattered. He simply says, verse 23, but they did not see Jesus. And perhaps that's how we sometimes feel about Jesus that he's sort of special, you know, a good teacher. God and angels may be, but it's not clear why Jesus himself is so important. Maybe we'd like to believe it all, but it all seems so far-fetched. Perhaps true, perhaps not. Half-hearted hopes, like Cleopas. Confused about the world, confused about our lives, confused about where Jesus fits into it all. This is the state Cleopas is in, and it's the state, naturally, we as humans are in.
This might be how we've been feeling for the last few days or weeks or months. And this is the confusion into which the resurrected Jesus now speaks. This brings us to our second point, clarity. What does he have to say? What clarity does he bring? Verses 25 to 26. How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Crumbs. It's quite forceful. It's not exactly the Jesus meek and mild that we're perhaps used to. Now, we may still be a little confused by what he said, and goodness knows how clear past felt. But Jesus goes on to talk about the Bible, the scriptures. He explains, verse 27, that it is all about him. It's all written concerning himself. Everything in the Bible, Jesus says, is actually about me. That's a pretty big claim. But from the Bible, Jesus goes on to show Cleopas two things that he's got wrong. First, Jesus says, I am much more than a prophet or a good teacher. I am the Messiah. Now, these distinctions may not make as much sense to us in the 21st century as they did then, but they are crucial. Prophets announce things and teach things. Messiahs, or rather the Messiah, changes things. He isn't just a teacher or an advisor. He is a king, a ruler, a protector, even a redeemer. And he is the one announced throughout the pages of the Old Testament. And he doesn't invite us to some vague, half-hearted hope. Jesus wants us to be clear and confident. I am your only true redeemer, he says. I am the one you have been waiting for. And he doesn't give us ambiguous, shifting grounds to trust him on. He has defeated the one crippling reality of human existence, death itself. The very thing that seems crushingly inescapable, Jesus has overcome. And in our confusion, he wants us to be clear, he is qualified to redeem us from death. Cleopas has actually been staring the evidence in the face. The empty tomb, the stone that was rolled away, the folded grave clothes, the eyewitness testimony of the women. Jesus died but then he was most definitely alive again. And this is only one of several testimonies recorded by eyewitnesses, recorded and presented as evidence, as if it was in a modern court case. And despite the centuries of skepticism, the evidence still stands. If you'd like to think about this further, do grab me at the end. I would love to chat about it more with you. But the second point is in some sense even more important. Jesus dying was not a failure. It was always part of the plan. This is why it matters. This is why it matters for you and for me. You may think it's all very well, Jesus rising from the dead, but what's that got to do today? Well, Cleopas thinks that Jesus dying means he can't have been Israel's redeemer. 
Jesus wants to make it clear that it's precisely by dying that he has become Israel's redeemer. This is the bit of the jigsaw puzzle that Cleopas is missing. As Jesus died, Cleopas was watching redemption happen and didn't even realize it. Because just as the Messiah was foretold by the Old Testament, so too was his redeeming death. Our Old Testament passage from Isaiah is probably the clearest part of the Old Testament about this. I I do not doubt for a moment that this was not one of the passages Jesus discussed on that road. Look at me uh, at verse 5 from that reading. This is talking about this great suffering servant. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What was it, after all, that Cleopas wanted redeeming from? What does the redemption of Israel look like? What is it that we all need that we cannot get by ourselves? Well, this passage in Isaiah speaks of transgressions and iniquities. Things we have done wrong. The mess we have made of our lives. The mistakes we make on a daily basis. And all the suffering and pain that follows on from it. And this passage speaks of suffering, pain and death. And the separation from God that will ultimately come from it. That is true of everyone here. That describes everyone who has ever lived, except Jesus, the perfect Messiah, the only human to have ever lived a truly innocent life. And look again at those verses in Isaiah, verses 5 and 6. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. For our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds, we are healed. There's this sense of exchange. Our iniquities and transgressions healed. Our relationship with God brought to peace. And how? Because the penalty for it all fell entirely on this innocent, suffering saviour. And as a result, there is full redemption from everything you have ever done wrong. And just to prove it, he is risen from the dead as this conquering Messiah. The death that should result from our sins and our wrongdoings conquered its sting removed. When we look at the resurrection, when we look at the evidence for it, we can be clear. Jesus redeems fully from all wrongdoing and brings us eternal life on the other side of death, if we would but trust him. And this brings me to our final point, confidence. How do we respond to news like this How did our two travellers respond? Well, they do two things. They urge Jesus to stay. 
and then they go and tell everyone else about him. So as they approach the village of Emmaus, we're back in Luke now, verse 29, they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. They, they still haven't realized who Jesus is, but they know they want to know more. As they say later in verse 32, their hearts were burning within them while he talked on the road and opened the scriptures. Have you ever felt your heart strangely warmed by this talk of Jesus? Maybe they were fires that burned bright once but are now smoldering embers that need life breathing back into them. Perhaps your heart does burn and yet the worries and cares of the world threaten to pour cold water all over them. That will cover, I imagine, all of us in one way or another. And the solution for all of us is the same. To ask Jesus to stay, to show us more of himself. Let us pray, let us open our Bibles as Jesus did to Cleopas. And why? Because Jesus is worth seeing more clearly. He is worth bringing into high focus. He's worth seeing in high definition. And two things will result from that. The first is a deepening relationship with him. We've got this lovely image of the meal that these three travelers now have together. It calls to mind the Last Supper uh, and the bread and wine, which we're going to share together later. I like this meal because it shows that it's not just about getting the facts right about Jesus. That's the start. It shows that this is about relationship. Eating together is what we do with friends. It's a sign of relationship and trust, whether in Middle Eastern cultures like this one or us having tea and cake together on a rainy afternoon. That's where this meal that we're going to share later is all about. Relationship, communion even, with this suffering Messiah who has redeemed us. It's about recognizing him for who he is and saying, I want more. The second thing that happens, the second thing that they do, is this desire to share Jesus with others. We see this in verses 33 to 35. Cleopas and his companion rush back to Jerusalem, and they find Jesus' other friends. And, And verse 35, you can just sense the excitement. They told what had happened on the way, and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. If Jesus... If any of what Jesus said and did is true, it is worth sharing. Forgiveness for wrongdoing, freedom from the fear of death, all of it unconditional and freely given, you would have to be pretty heartless to believe that that is true and keep it all to yourself. That's why throughout history, Christians have generally been pretty keen on talking about Jesus. And yes, sometimes it can be a little bit awkward and cringeworthy. But the alternative would just be cruel. This news is too amazing. If we believe it, we should talk about it with each other, with those who haven't heard it yet. And if it's new to you, or you've got loads of questions, then great. Because for 2,000 years we've we've refused to shut up about this. We too often see Jesus out of focus. Once we get him into focus, 
He is simply the best thing that has ever happened to anyone. Because by his dying and his rising from the dead, he has redeemed. He has become the fulfillment of our every hope and dream, if only we would recognize him. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, by your Spirit, show us yourself. Bring yourself into high definition for each of us. Show us how you fit into our lives. Show us how you meet our needs, how you satisfy our hopes and our dreams. Turn us to yourself, we pray. May we hunger after you. May we want to sit down and share everything with you. Show us yourself from the scriptures each and every day. Draw us to yourself in prayer. Give us more of yourself. Because by dying and rising, you have offered us full and perfect redemption. Amen.